Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at the new Men in Black film, Men in Black International. We're, gonna, we're also going to take a look at that weird zombie indie movie by Jim Jarmusch that you probably saw a trailer for, we don't remember, called The Dead Don't Die. We went and saw it. Uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at some trailers that are coming up uh, soon. Frozen 2, Doctor Sleep, and Ready or Not. And we'll talk about those in between our reviews. And before we get to all of that, we need to talk about some news. The first thing on the docket, Lionsgate is eyeing a Hunger Games movie prequel. Andy, uh, you found this article regarding Suzanne Collins's original work, The Hunger Games. Uh, what do you know about it? Um, so the, this YA dystopian trilogy... Uh, was a very successful, made a lot of money, but it did kind of get worse with each film. Uh, but Susan Collins earlier this week on, I think on Monday, announced a new book uh, that would be a prequel to the series uh, that's coming out uh, in about a year's time. And so not, not long after, uh, Lionsgate also announced that they would be working with her to make a prequel film to the series. Obviously, this is tremendous, of course. Uh, Hunger Games made a bunch of money. Uh, it was a big hit. It was riding the wave of the Harry Potter and Twilight uh, young adult novel adaptations. Uh, and for what it's worth, I've always heard good things. I haven't really seen them, I'll be honest, so I should withhold judgment from what I think. Uh, but for what it's worth, uh, you know, cool, I guess. Everybody's getting in on, on, on trying to build a universe somewhere, and I suppose this is a good direction. Game of Thrones is making prequels. Why can't the Hunger Games, right? Right, right. Uh, any chance Jennifer Lawrence comes back for this, you think? Uh, I'm sure they'll want her to make an appearance. But in my my big issue with this is that the YA dystopian novel and film fad has come and gone, as we saw choked to death by uh, the Diversion uh, series, which was very similar to The Hunger Games, went through four films. Except the fourth film, each film did worse than the previous one. The fourth one actually went to straight to video um did not have a theatrical release and shailene woodley stepped out of the lead role because of that um so i think this i mean there might be some popularity with the brand but i i think it's just kind of too late now andy let's remember everybody thought cutthroat island killed pirate movies in 1996 then pirates of the caribbean brought it back around so anything could happen that's true but yeah i'm i'm in the same boat uh it's it kind of feels like this one came and went Maybe they can do something with it, but like it's it's going to have to be a really strong film, I think. It's going to have to build on a lot of nostalgia, but maybe if they can market it correctly, they can get somewhere. I don't see them making two or three of these things, but hey, Hunger Games prequel. Keep an eye out. It's probably coming. Uh, the next story we have, Danny Boyle will never work on another <laughs> franchise film after his Bond 25 experience. I found this article, so let me explain this one. So Danny Boyle is a British film director. He's done some movies like 28 Days Later, Train Spotting, 28 Weeks Later, 28 Weeks Later, Train Spotting 2. You might have seen a couple of his pictures, and he has been elected to work on the new James Bond film, which is being codenamed Bond 25, whatever it's going to be called, right? It's the 25th Bond film. It's very exciting. And just a few months into being a part of it, he stepped out of the role. He said he didn't want to do it anymore. Now, in this article, it explains it's because he wasn't working with a writer he's really particular with. But as far as I can tell, he, it seems like he just doesn't want to work in franchises because they really, like, pigeonhole you into doing something you don't really want to do. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted the creative freedom to kind of be able to run around and do his own thing. But when you're working on the 25th James Bond film, yeah, producers are going to have expectations. Albert E. Broccoli's estate, who's the creator of James Bond, is going to want his character to do something specific, you know? So I could see him being frustrated by this. What do you think? That's always the, the problem when you get a really well-known director that's an auteur. Um, it, at, it at first sounds really great. Like people say, oh, if only we could get Christopher Nolan to do a, a Bond film or, or Tarantino or these other big names. And I think you would get this result every time because those directors have such a unique um, take on the genre and they want full control over everything. And, and these these big franchises aren't about that. They're about, okay, we want to hit all these similar beats, uh, make sure we, you know, we have action, uh, Bond girls and fight scenes and whatever else. Um, and they want you to stay in your, in your lanes. Don't paint outside the lines. And so when you get a director who is known for that, known for that, it, it just never clashes. Yeah. 
It's worth mentioning in here that reports uh, later claimed it was because Danny Boyle refused to kill off the iconic 007 spy. Very exciting. Maybe that's where James Bond is going in the next movie. Uh, the, the movie will be directed by a man named Kerry Fukunaga. He directed the first season of True Detective and a couple other things while I'm thinking about it. But he's going to pick up the reins where Danny left off. Keep it here on Off Script for more. Our last story this week, uh, Men in Black International leads an underwhelming box office weekend with 30 million dollars. Andy, you want to fill us in on the numbers here? Um, yeah, so this debuted to the lowest of, of the four films. Uh, the previous installments coming in at around 50 million and this coming in well below. Now, it, it was kind of... They didn't think it was going to do great because it's technically a spin-off and it's not, you know, it's not really a reboot and it doesn't have the original stars. So no one thought it was going to be a huge hit, but it, it's coming in well below expectations. And it continues a really underwhelming June of sequels and things like that. Yeah, uh, it's really a bummer. This article, it makes it very clear. Like, this is not... Men in Black doing poorly at the box office is not exactly an outlier. It's been a it's been a rough couple of weeks at the movies. We we make a movie podcast. We know it's been a rough couple of weeks at the movies. All right, we've been struggling to come up with content for you cats, but uh, for what it's worth, uh, it's not alone in making thirty millions. Dark Phoenix only made thirty three million last year last weekend. Godzilla King of the Monsters only made forty seven million domestically, which is not great. These movies are expected to make a lot more money. They have big CGI budgets, and they are not getting where they should. The question is, why? Andy, any thoughts? Um, it's it's spectacle over, over acceptance. Uh, a lot of what we're seeing in this movies are effects that would have been really um, impressive 5, 10, 15 years ago, but it's not enough anymore. You, your audience has bec- become too smart. Then you want to see a good story, you want to see compelling characters alongside the spectacle. Um, when you have things like, um, you know, Endgame that just came out and other things in the NCU or things like Logan. Okay. These are all comic book properties. And so is men in black. Uh, so you got to do more with it. You can't just spend a, you know, 50 million extra on CGI and, and have some cool effects. It's you got to have more. And we'll, and we'll talk more, about that in our review. <laughs> right. Uh, the review shortly coming. If you want to know more about men in black international, we have a lot to say about it. We saw it. Uh, there's a little bit more of this article, though. It's worth mentioning that uh, Shaft also came out, uh, a <laughs> new Shaft film, uh, that earned a 36% Rotten Tomatoes rating from critics, which is better than Men in Black International. Got a impressive A cinema score by audiences. Audiences loved Shaft, but critics not so much, and it did not do great. But it's worth noting that almost all of these movies are going to do fine overseas. I don't want to say that American audiences somehow have more culture or cinematic taste than overseas audiences, because we don't. Uh, but usually big CGI budget films like this that are primarily American, like they, they make the money back. They'll be fine. Right. Like they'll, yeah. Sony will probably green light a sequel or something. Like I doubt this will be the end of it, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess. But bummer, bummer, bummer for June at the movies. It's just, it's just been bumpy. Yeah. Well, with that, we should probably get into our first review. We already gave you a peek behind the curtain, but, uh, Andy, you've graciously agreed to take the summary on this one uh, please take it away men in black international i found you which makes me perfect for this job so this is uh, the latest installment in the men in black franchise uh, the first one which came out in 1999 and spawned two sequels the original starred of course will smith and tommy lean jones in a pretty iconic roles and um a, a pretty Interesting for uh, first movie. Uh, this film picks up. I think I can't really tell if it's a uh, a sequel or a reboot. It's somewhere in between. Uh, but we get kind of a new round of stars. We have Chris Hemsworth uh, starring as Agent H and Tom, uh, Tessa Thompson as Agent M. Uh, so at the beginning of the film, we see a young Molly who discovers an alien in her room in the you know early two thousands nineties something like that, and she peeks out the window to see the Men in Black neuralize her parents. Uh, they get their memories wiped, but she doesn't, and so she remembers this, and so she seeks out to find this organization her whole life, and through her deductive reasoning and scientific skills and overall education and curiosity, she does discover the men in black, and when she does, she says she wants to join, and she meets um, Emma Thompson's character, Agent O, that says, I found you, I'm built for this organization, no one else could 
no one else has found you. I deserve to be in. And after some back and forth, they decide to let her in, and she joins the Men in Black, this super secret alien, keep peacekeeping, CIA kind of uh, force. And then we're kind of off to the movie. And that's the, uh, that's the setup. Uh, the film also stars uh, Camille Nanjiani and in a really uh, funny role in Liam Neeson. Uh, we get a lot of action. We get some... Uh, some buddy cop comedy. Uh, there's a lot going on in this film. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. And uh, that's what we're going to get into. So, Zach, what do you think? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This movie <laughs> is terrible. Too. Oh, man. And I was hopeful, too. You can go back and listen. Like, I was optimistic about Men in Black International. I was like, maybe it'll be good. It's been a while. Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth were in uh, the new Thor movie together. They were great. It's got a good cast. Liam Neeson's fun. Emma Thompson's good. Uh, uh, Kamal Nanjani's on the up and up. Maybe it'll be good. No. This, the script is terrible and confusing, and you can't keep up with what's happening. The acting is good, but ultimately the directing just didn't have any good direction, and I got a lot to say about it, so let's get into it. Andy, what did you think of Men in Black International? Uh, I was incredibly un- underwhelmed and pretty disappointed. I went in with very low expectations because it looked like a, st- a CGI fest that was going to be devoid of plot and character, and that's exactly what it was. So, in some ways, my expectations were were met. Um, it it is pretty bad. It, like I said, it's heavy on the spectacle, heavy on the effects, very bland character writing, very predictable plot, very just boring. I was bored through bored. the the middle. I bored to tears uh, through the middle of it. Um, just not very inspired or or exciting. Um, so yeah, that <laughs> that's about how I feel about it. Where should we start uh, picking this thing apart? Well, let me start with my experience, uh, because I think that's an important disclaimer to this. I was not like you. I went into this a bit optimistic. I'd only seen one trailer, but I was like, maybe. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe in in a month of, of garbage films, maybe this one will turn out okay. And it didn't. But while I was at my movie theater, uh, in, <laughs> there, was a, there was a tornado alert. Um, which not only set off every EAS alert on everybody's phone in the theater, which happened to happen in a scene in the film during an emergency. So nobody thought it was out of place. We're all like, huh, that's weird. Like, um, but the power went off in the middle of my movie. And, and for 15 minutes, I sat in the theater uh, in the dark on my phone uh, while, while, while tornadoes batten down the hatches. Didn't even get a free popcorn out of it or anything. Didn't get a free ticket or anything like the, the movie stopped for 15 minutes and they put it back on and like I got nothing. Half the theater left. Uh, it was mostly because the film was bad and because there was no <laughs> point in continuing to watch. So. They're like, oh, well, it looks like I better leave. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I am a little, I'm a little tweaked because of that because I just stopped right in the middle. But let's start with the plot because uh, like, that's exactly where you started kind of, kind of our, our summary at the beginning. Uh, 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 Molly, this young girl gets uh, sees an alien her parents get flashed so they lose memory of it but she doesn't she grows up she's like a conspiracy theorist she wants to figure it out she finally finds the men in black and and wants to become one of these people she gets partnered with chris hemsworth and we're on our way to solve some big mystery about a mole in the men in black it's so confusing in an hour and 54 minute film you'd think you'd have time but you don't like it it just blows through alien names and jabronis or whatever the alien race (laughs) is called and like i can't even remember what it was like it's so quick and you just can't keep up with it and like it doesn't it doesn't really give you any time to really take it in even if you've seen the other men in black films like it's still a lot it's still a lot to hit you with uh and it just doesn't it doesn't do you any favors the audience it expects you to be glued to the screen but it's not good enough to warrant it yes so (laughs) Last week, I saw an, an honest trailer about Men in Black because they usually come out to coincide with the film release. And one one of its kind of criticisms is that the first three movies are all the same movie. Like, the exact same thing happens in every one plot-wise. And we get a little bit of that in this as well. It's not completely the same as the first three, but it's very similar. Uh, the biggest problem for me is that the first act is a huge disaster. Because I can tell the film is preoccupied with getting to Act Two, where Molly is already a uh, a Man in Black agent. But the whole first act, which would normally be where you would set up her character, it just rushes through her. Um, oh, she sees this alien. Oh, she's obsessed with Men in Black. Oh, she finds a Men in Black. Oh, she's like her training. Like that was a big part of the first film was uh, Will Smith getting trained in Men in Black. Like that's a whole 
thing. And in this one, they do it in like, oh, uh, in, in just dialogue. Emma Thompson says, oh, you've been trained in weapons and alien language. You're like, it's, it just, it yeah. blows through the first act to get, because it just wants to get to the effects stuff that happens once she is an agent. Right, and you'd think they would really play off that comedy, like, oh, she she gets some things and she does, but it, like, it's not it's not that way. Like, it, she seemingly knows how to speak alien languages when she needs to, and other times for comedic effect she doesn't, and it's just like a toss up. Like, you don't really, yeah, you don't really get any character development. They just tell you, hey, here's where we're at now, and here's what's going on, and it's just confusing. Like, you can't keep up, and you don't get you don't get to go along for the ride with the character. Like, Will Smith in the first Men in Black film, he doesn't actually get to be in the Men in Black for like. A half hour or something. It's just him figuring it out and taking the stupid test in the egg chair and like trying to get his, his fingerprints burned off. Like all of that is character development. You learn, you grow with the character, but like this never happens. You just join the men in black, I guess. It's really goofy. Yeah, and, and it also, the first film had this whole, it didn't get too deep into this, but it was this thing about like, well, we are hiding the truth from the public for good reasons. You know, uh, Tommy Lee Jones has that great line about, you know, a person is smart. People are scared, unpredictable animals. Um, so there's this whole mystery behind it that is just completely thrown out the the window in this film. Yeah, uh, let's let's continue. Chris Hemsworth. All right, he's on the other side of the spectrum from our uh, young incoming Molly. He is the hotshot pro agent man who has been there forever. And everybody knows he looks like a Greek god and, and reminds him of that. And he, he goes off and parties on missions and gets hammered on alien booze, I guess. And, and, and like, Viva La Vida's his way through the Men in Black <laughs> and somehow is elevated to, like, top leadership. Which, for an organization called Men in Black and not Women in Black, which is very, very clumsily addressed in the film, yeah. by the way, uh, you'd think that would, I guess be okay and it just seems to be nobody has a problem with chris chris hemsworth being like be, being the animal house of men in black like it's just totally fine yeah um with that which kind of brings me to another point is um tessa thompson is the main character i think um but she's written like a supporting character uh yes. like she is she plays second fiddle to herself um Chris Hemsworth is, like I said, he kind of gets the lead. And, and he, again, he starts off as this kind of really douchey character and, you know, over time learns about himself and the value of friendship, whatever. And kind of his character has, has an arc and has growth and her character is the same the entire time. So it's like the supporting character is written better than the main character. So that, that's a big problem with the writing as well. Which particularly hurts this film because, let's be honest, like it's it's... As far as, like, uh, women in Hollywood goes, this film felt really tone-deaf. Like, it does not do a great job of, of, of saying, hey, uh, you know, women are empowered in film. And I guess it doesn't have to. Movies don't have to empower women in film. But, like, it just... It, it feels like it would offend kind of everybody. Because on the one hand, like, the organization is just called the Men in Black, and there's women who work in it, but they can't do anything about it. And yet, on the other hand, uh, Emma Thompson is a leader in the organization without problem I, I don't know like it's it's really odd and and tessa thompson she pines after chris hemsworth character like the whole movie she's all about him oh my god i just i just want to be like that guy and with that guy and he's the best like it's it's this really odd like mary sue kind of thing they do um that just i don't know is is strange for a movie where she's supposed to be the main character yeah um let me look at the, uh sorry just looking at the right Writing credits. I mean, yeah, it's written by two guys. <laughs> and it's worth mentioning because I, I was just looking at this. It's worth, it's worth mentioning. These guys both wrote the original Iron Man, uh, one of the last Transformers movie, a Punisher movie, uh, you know. So, And then the director, F. Gary Gray, he worked on movies like The Italian Job. Uh, he, he worked on, oh, God, I just had this straight out of Compton, the last uh, Fast and Furious movie. So, like... These, these these were made by people who have made other movies that were better than this. And, and and that was something I felt like was really a problem. This movie, the writing and the directing just don't feel like they match up. It feels like they were just on two different pages. Like they were just coming at this from two totally different directions. And it just feels like, I don't know, bumbled, I guess. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> bumbled and fumbled. Uh, that does bring me to uh, Camille Nanjiani, who is, uh, of course, a uh, Pakistani uh, stand-up comedian been a lot of things have been having a really good film career lately he plays a character called Pawnee who's like this little alien who's uh 
you know, it's kind of like a chess piece, and his his queen is killed, and so he then has to, he play, ends up play, pledging loyalty to Agent M, Tessa Thompson's character, and he kind of tags along for the adventure. Um, and he's got a lot of things that works. I think he, he was one of the better parts of the movie. He's got some funny lines. He's also got a lot a lot of humor that doesn't work. But I thought it was one of the better things about this really bad movie. Yeah, he was really charming. Um, it was. Okay, let's talk about the effects. All right, that, that's a decent pivot. Because like I said, the, the alien lore is all completely awash. You can't keep up with it, and even if you can, it's it's bad. The 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 climax is ultimately confusing for it because there's a twist that you didn't see coming because you didn't really understand what was going on. So like, it's it, the twist totally flops. Uh, but as far as the effects go, there's some rad stuff. They're, like they, they bring back the Men in Black, like the chrome guns. And the chrome weapons and the look, like the black suits and the and the, and, the, and the sunglasses and stuff, like it all comes off pretty neat. As far as set dressing is concerned, I thought that was okay. Yeah, the the, the production is, is top notch. Like the sets look really expensive. The effects, of course, a lot. You can see where the money has been spent, and also where it hasn't been spent. Right. It is a location-based action film, which means, I guess that's the international. They just travel around to different spots in the world, and it's like, oh, now we're in a Moroccan market, and we have to have a, a chase with aliens, and ooh, now we're in New York City, and it's time for a shootout, you know? Like, it's just a goofy... It, it, there's just... I don't know. There's not a whole lot to it. It's not even fun to watch from, like, the action standpoint. It's just, it's just kind of dull, I think. Mm-hmm. Last thing, because uh, we kind of got into performances there. Liam Neeson is in this is uh, forget, in a forgettable role as well. Yeah, uh, Rafe Spall is in here, which if you don't know who he is, I won't spend any time on it, but he's in it. Uh, Emma Thompson is kind of good, but she's underused. I actually really liked Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. I thought their parts were maybe not written effectively, but I thought they played their characters with charisma as much as they could. Um, like you said, Tessa Thompson's character was kind of pushed to the back, and, and that didn't help her at all, but like they, they seem passionate. You know, they, they, they seem like they knew the script and they were, they were acting and there's some action in there and choreography. There is one particularly funny a scene. I actually laughed at, uh, uh, there's a scene well, it's not intentional by the way. This is completely unintentional laugh, but, uh, there's a scene where Chris Hemsworth gets in like a bar fight and he's standing there, fisticuffs up Chris Hemsworth. And then the camera cuts to like behind him. And it's so clearly a stunt man. And they do like eight <laughs> yeah. stunts in a row just back to back to back to back, like 10, 10 cuts super fast. And then it cuts back afterwards and eight dudes are on the ground and Chris Hemsworth standing there again. And it's like the goofiest cut because it so obviously wasn't him. Uh, and they made no effort to try to rectify it. Like, it's just it's just a clumsy action <laughs> movie that's that's not any good. Um, I, I think one of the uh, this is going to kind of pivot back around to plot. One of my biggest issues with this and this franchise in general is like people have thought up the concept of men in black without any kind of interesting conflict. Like they've they've thought up the okay, we're going to have a super secret organization that deals with aliens, but then there's never what that what how do they deal with them? What is that compelling conflict? Why do they really exist? Like that never really com- kind of comes. Uh, to fruition and I think in in something that you would need to make this work um, you know this is based off the CIA so make it deal with the things the CIA deals with you know counterintelligence counter to, you know you could do alien terrorism or something that and then you could also get into more real world th- world issues because that's part of what the movies are for it's it's a way to address things in the real world through fiction and it's you could just do you got to do something and very little is done the conflict is kind of non-existent in this yeah, I think the biggest thing that hurts this film is how safe Sony Pictures played it. Because when you have a property like Men in Black, in 2019, there's an awful lot you can do with that. There's an awful lot of ways they could go. The organization is evolving. It's different. You could do like a reboot kind of thing where it's like a SWAT team or something. Or it could be even more chill and be a bunch of hacker. Like, I don't know. They could use social media. There could be alien terrorists. Like you said, that could be a whole thing. Like, there's so much more you could do with it. But they were like, nope, get out the crappy 90s black suits and ties. We'll riff on it, and it'll be funny and cool. And it totally wasn't. Like, it was just lazy. Uh, it was it was ham-fisted. They didn't, they didn't try to do anything new or different. It was boring. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it... it- <laughs> there's not really oh no there's not really the time is an issue i definitely 
Um, so whenever I look at my watch, it's, it's an, it, first of all, that's always a bad sign. But if I look at my watch and there's only like 10 minutes left, that's fine. If I look at my watch and there's like a half hour left or an hour left, which is what happened at this, that's a real problem. Like the middle just got so bogged down with dialogue and just waiting between action set, action set pieces. It was just, yeah, I was like, man, this is just really boring and really slow. Yeah, and like... I don't know. I guess I don't have much more to say about it. Um, um, how, how about you? If you, if you have any other thoughts, no, music I, was forgettable. It was too long. I agree. Hour for, even with my 15-minute break in the middle, it was too long. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move on to recommendations. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Men in Black International? No. Skip it. It's hard, hard no. Even if you're a fan of the series, skip it. Uh, there's just nothing interesting here. Like I said, film has, has come too far. We, we we have passed the point of where spectacle is enough to get people into into this, into the seats. Um, an article I read earlier today pointed out that um, Avatar was probably the last film to really do that because Avatar is not a great film plot wise, but but did have this incredible spectacle that people came went to see and continued to see over and over. Um, but we haven't had anything really like that that was worth going just for the effects, and it hasn't been that way in a long time. We've had to have good effects next to compelling characters, interesting plot, those kinds of things, you know, meaningful themes. It's got to be a real movie, and this it's just was not it in all of those categories. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to agree. A huge resounding no. Two thumbs way down. Skip <laughs> it. Don't even waste your time on Netflix because it will show up there in an attempt to make some more money for Sony because uh, it's terrible. Don't waste your time. Go back and watch one of the other ones. Watch one, maybe even watch two. I didn't see three, but I heard it was okay. Do not waste your time with Men in Black International. It is milk toast. It is boilerplate. It is half-baked and it is totally not worth your time. Skip it. Yeah. And we should move on to it. Man, I can't remember the last time we just roasted a movie <laughs> like that one. It's been a while. Like, usually we're kind of split. Like, yeah, maybe you'll like it. But, like, no, that one, it's just not, it's just not good. Right. Uh, we should move on to our next section. Uh, do you mind if I take the title? Oh, no, you're doing it. Please, go go ahead, please. It's time for the trailer park. Uh, our first film on the trailer park this year. I'm actually taking this one. Very excited. Uh, Disney's Frozen 2. So, Frozen 2 is, of course, continuing the story of our princesses Elsa and Anna and their friend Hans. I was going to say Klaus. Uh, Hans and his deer and their snowman friend Olaf and their grand adventures in the Swedish North. Uh, apparently in this film, Anna or Elsa, I'm sorry, who's the ice queen is developing her powers and she's finding out that she needs to figure out who she really is. So they are here. They hear from some rock trolls. That they need to travel to the North where some mystical things begin to happen. And that's all we really know. Uh, I'm not sure why I know so much about frozen lore. I, I if I had to wager, it's because after hear hear me out. After college, I had to work a stint at Barnes Noble for like nine months. I worked back in the music and DVD section, and the DVD we had to play every day was Frozen. So that's that'll beat you down. But uh, Andy, any thoughts on Frozen two? So I haven't seen the first Frozen. I'm not real familiar with the Frozen verse, and I was particularly annoyed by how much the song was around. So that actually dismayed me from from ever watching it. But I need to because uh, these trailers have gotten they have piqued my interest, and I'm interested in what's happening. And that's part of what a really good trailer does. You know, it gets people who aren't interested in in the franchise interested um it looks cool i know there's going to be i'm sure new songs that will be annoying but um but the music is always very successful part part of the franchise and um i'm excited to actually go back and watch the first one and see where this sequel takes us yeah uh i will pick up the reins here i did see it uh for any of you parents out there who want to know what this is going to be about or just fans um, I think it's important to wonder when you see a sequel, how does it how does it iterate on what came before and improve? What it, what is Frozen Two gonna do that Frozen One didn't do? Right? How do you take what was successful about Frozen and bring it into another film and build upon it to not only do as well but do better? Looking at the trailer, it looks like it's a little bit darker, right? A little bit darker tone, a little bit more color. 
uh, especially the second trailer they released, there's a lot of pinks and purples and hues, and, and they're really leaning into this new area that their characters are in to bring in a lot of, like, I don't know, texture and color and shapes and themes that wasn't present in the first one. The first one's a little dry, a little white, very, very snowy. Uh, this one's got a little bit more going for it. I think that's neat. I don't know what it means for our characters. Like I said, the trailers are pretty vague, but for what it's worth, I think Andy's right. There will be more songs. There will be more memes. It'll be great. Uh, uh, <laughs> Frozen 2, take your kids, I guess. Um, Andy, you want to take the next one? Uh, yes, the next one we're looking at is Dr. Sleep. So Dr. Sleep is the sequel to The Shining, which the, of course, the 1980 cult classic uh, uh, by Stanley Kubrick based on the novel by Stephen King. Um, so you're thinking a sequel to The Shining, that's how do you follow up such a classic film? Well, uh, Stephen King did actually write a, a novel or a, a, yeah, a novel, a sequel to the original Shining, and it, it is being adapted into a book. And the trailer did come out. Um, this thing got me all sorts of excited. I, I, I remember I couldn't watch it right away, and so I was like, you know, losing it until <laughs> until I could. Uh, the movie picks up about forty years after the original. We meet Danny Torrance, who is now an adult, um, and he meets a young girl, and he's asked to speak with her, who also has the shining. Although she calls it, she says, "Oh, you're magic like me," um, but he slowly begins to tell her that uh, in the trailer. Well, you know, we called it The Shining, and, you know, it's not a good thing. It's not a gift. And, you know, the the people that I met that have it died. Um, and so we, that's kind of the setup. And then we also see there is some cult or some or something that is also involved some way. I haven't read the novel, so I don't know, and I'm not going to read it because I want to see uh, how the film tells it. Um, but it's about bringing The Shining back to uh, the screen, and it's going to be coming out in November, which is... Um, you know, Oscar release date. So I'm super excited about this. It, it had great mood. It recreated some, uh, some scenes from the shining in, in the film in, in modern ways. And it got me super stoked. So Zach, what'd you think? I, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this movie, uh, when we went and saw the shining 4k a few weeks back at the Texas theater and we were talking about Dr. Sleep and, and where it might go and what it might do after we saw the movie. And like, I remember, I remember us both thinking like, there's no way it'll try to pick up where The Shining left off. Like, you just can't. You can't You you can't pick up the reins where Kubrick's The Shining leaves because it's such a fascinating film. Part of what makes The Shining so cool is, is, is it blurs the line between psychological horror and supernatural horror. And you can't really tell what's going on until the end when you find out, oh, it's kind of both, but maybe not really. Like, you're not even really sure. And Dr. Sleep again, like any sequel, has to reiterate that and do better. You have to take what came before and do more. And for what it's worth, this trailer swings for the fences. They really do. They they recreate scenes from the original film. They have callbacks. It even ends with, like, the classic sting, which, which gave me freaking goosebumps watching yeah. it because I couldn't believe they're really going for it. It might all be marketing. It might all be to just pander. But for what it's worth, Dr. Sleep looks to be building on the cinematic prequel that is The Shining, and I'm excited, even if it turns out to be terrible. I'm yeah. on the hype train. I want to see it. it, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Choo-choo. Um, yeah. So one of the things I was saying about earlier this week is also people forget that The Shining is called The Shining, and it is about The Shining. It is not about the Overlook Hotel. That is the setting. That is where it takes place. And the Overlook is such a huge part of the original film. But the novel is it's much more about the ability the ability that Danny has his ability to read minds to feel what others are feeling to kind of converse with these other other people that have the shining and that's what this film Doctor Sleep looks like it will kind of focus more on it's not about setting and it's not about a haunted place it's about the ability that Danny has and that he probably doesn't want especially at at this point you know I think a lot of the film looks like it will be about revisiting ghosts uh, of the past. Um, but yeah, it's, it's got me super stoked. And yeah, when the DS era, uh, plays at the end, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it got me in. And speaking of ghosts of the past, I want everybody to remember that's listening to the show right now that way back in the day when we did our review for it, 
we both said this is going to be a Stephen King film thing. They're going to start making Stephen King film movies again. We've seen Pet Cemetery. They made Gerald's Game on Netflix. This is coming out. It Chapter 2 is coming. Stephen King's on board with this stuff. He's, he's excited. Uh, so for what it's worth, keep it here on Offscript for more. I love Ian McGregor. Uh, the, the music looks cool. I, I, I think it'll be neat. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention, yes, Ewan McGregor it plays Danny. Yes, plays Danny Torrance. I'm excited about that. Uh, uh, Doctor Sleep comes out November 8th of this year. I forgot to mention it, but Frozen 2 comes out November 22nd of this year. And our third film, which I'm about to get into, will be coming out this August. The movie is Ready or Not. We're going to start the count. Good luck. So, (laughs) the only reason... We're talking about Ready or Not on this podcast right now is because for the last two days, it is all I have seen on Facebook. It is it is when I scroll, it is at every link. I don't know if it's because we do a movie podcast or, or, or it's just viral marketing or what, but this R-rated red band trailer for this comedy horror mystery called Ready or Not is suddenly getting a lot of play on the internet. All right. It's coming out August 23rd. Uh, Ready or Not is the story of a, a newlywed bride uh, and her husband's wedding night. Um, at their at her husband's uh, big family family house, and it takes a sinister turn when the new in laws force them to take part in this horrifying game of hide and seek. Uh, there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, the trailer kind of gives you a bit more details, but for, for what it's worth, that's it. It's supposed to be a, again. It's listed on IMDb as a comedy horror mystery, so it seems a little self reflexive. Like they know it's goofy. Um, Andy, any 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 hot takes on this one? Uh, so this looks really bad initially, but it does have some potential. It could, it could surprise you. It, I, I don't really know. Uh, th- it definitely is good to go heavy on the gore. Uh, the trailer I saw was, uh, a, a red band one, uh, which means every, anything is, uh, allow everything like is, cursing, gore, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's already lots of gore. It, it looks like it'll either be not funny and heavy. Or it could be really clever and have some sort of, you know, subtext that that's interesting. Uh, it, it's definitely over the top ridiculous, but it, it looks, it really leans into that. So again, comedy horror is, is what it is. It's also, it's a late August release, which is sometimes when you dump the hot trash. So it, but not always. Yeah. Uh, it's worth mentioning, I think, cause I didn't actually really get into it that, uh, this this old school game of, of hide and seek they appear to be playing is, is served with a bunch of old school weapons, crossbows and shotguns and axes, and and these people are just tearing each other apart trying to find this one woman. So, but it's supposed to be funny, kinda like I I don't know I, I I'm skeptical I guess, but uh, at the same time like it does look kind of fun. In a weird way, it looks fun. If it has the right tone, it could work. Like I told you before we started the movie, it reminds me of like a Jordan Peele film like get out or us except it's not going to be as charming and like social socially uh, uh, conscious right as one of those movies would be it won't have that like clever twist or that level of subtext you're like oh man this is this is actually kind of deep when you think about it. no it's just going to be a stupid go to the movies watch people get chopped up comedy film yeah it, it also stars uh, Samara Weaving who I don't know who that is and Andy McDowell who I haven't seen her yeah. seen her builds as top casting in quite a while, so um, yeah. I took that as a bad sign. <laughs> and uh, Adam Brody, uh, the the one the one funny dude from the OC back in the day that's riding his high after his appearance in Shazam. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, ready or not, it might be worth your time. It comes out August twenty third. Uh, we'll probably end up seeing it for the show, so keep it here on off script for more. Uh, we should get to our last film of the evening. Uh, this is that goofy zombie movie I was talking about at the beginning. You remember that indie flick that you might have seen a, a trailer for? This is uh, Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. Oh, the dead don't die anymore than you were right. So, Andy agreed to let me take summary for this one i'm actually very excited to talk about it the dead don't die appears to be an 80s zombie slasher film that's the look all right we have a small town called centerville usa uh where chief cliff robertson and officer ronnie peterson uh two uh, sheriffs and a sheriff's deputy in town 
are responsible for keeping the town safe when uh, the dead begin to rise uh, one night and, and, and things aren't what they seem. And uh, That's essentially our plot. We have a, a handful of, of goofy, minor, throwaway characters, you know, a, a waitress, uh, a farmer, uh, <laughs> a, a hardware store owner, um, and, and, and that's essentially the main plot. What's important to understand about The Dead Don't Die, before we get into it, is The Dead Don't Die is less a narrative zombie film and more like a film essay, alright? It's more like Black Klansman, or like a Coen Brothers movie. It more has something to say about society, and politics, and culture, and less than it does to be like a movie. It's very self-reflexive, it has a lot of in-jokes, it has a lot of very obvious throwbacks to things in society like our, our farmer character wears a make america great again hat um it's got it's got a lot to say about the world and it's it, it's important to understand that as a zombie movie it's not very good but as a commentary on society it's kind of neat Andy, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the dead don't die so I went into this with pretty low expectations, and I nearly begged you not to make make me go see it, just because sure. it looked so generic. The trailer wasn't; it looked like all the jokes were in the trailer. I w- I wasn't expecting much, um, but I ended up enjoying a lot of it. There's some things that don't quite work, but overall, it it has some good things. This is definitely a film for film nerds. There's lots and lots of jokes and references to other film properties lots of other zombie properties other uh you know lots of um kind of horror cliches that it's tapping on as well as being uh this having the socio-political commentary i did not expect any of that because the trailer just leaves all that out the trailer makes it look very generic and mainstream and it's definitely not a generic or mainstream movie and there was more that i enjoyed than i didn't um, I definitely don't think it's for everyone, um, but there is a lot, a lot of good things, uh, a lot of things that worked. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much exclusively in the same boat. I had very low expectations. I knew it was weird uh, because it's written and directed by Jim Jarmusch, who, if you don't know, is a very eccentric film director. He's made movies like Only Lovers Left Alive or Patterson or Stranger Than Paradise. And if you haven't seen any of those movies, it's because they're like super obscure art house films and they're not normal right you didn't you didn't you're not going to see these movies at cinemark or like amc they're going to be at some weird movie theater so he's already a weird dude all right uh but it stars bill murray and it's got adam driver the 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 evil guy from the new star wars movie so what's not to like right it'll be great um no this movie is very different it's very offbeat it plays a lot of tributes to old school zombie films like like army of darkness and evil dead and stuff but it's mostly Jim. Jar- it's seemingly Jim Jarmusch's uh, ability to comment on society and how he sees us uh, as a society ignoring problems. Yes, uh, the dead don't die is a very, very, very slow film. It is. It is agonizingly slow. It is slower than a zombie. Uh, <laughs> our characters are very lethargic. They hardly ever respond to tragedy in this movie at all. Uh, somebody could get eaten, and they would just kind of look at them surprised. They, they nobody, there's hardly any screaming or crying. Uh, it is, it is a very odd movie, and and I I get why so many people aren't into it, but like, it has so much to say. Um, and I feel like I've been talking a lot, so I should let Andy take it for a second, but I want to come back to that. Right. So, um, well, let's talk about plot. So the movie s- starts with. Uh, the, the the two p- police officers, uh, Bill Murray and Adam Driver, uh, who go out to you know this farmer is complaining about uh, the local uh, bum and hermit uh, hermit Bob played brilliantly by Tom Waits. Tom Waits, yeah. Um, and then you know they just kind of let him be out in the, in this field, but the, the, there's an incredible cast in this. And then again, it kind of you eventually le- it takes its time getting into the. Um, into the zombie stuff. But along the way, we get to see what kind of film it's going to be. We meet this very wide cast of, of characters played by seasoned and newer actors brilliantly um, with lots of tongue-in-cheek jokes. Uh, for instance, uh, RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan shows shows up and his he, he drives a brown delivery van called uh, um, Wu-PS, obviously a re- reference to UPS, but it has the Wu-Tang Clan symbol on the side. And that's one of those gags that you're going to 
you, you're going to be have some miles behind you before you realize what that is and who that is. Um, and there's lots of little gags like that. There's lots of meta humor about not just the film itself, but filmmaking in general as well that happens. So the humor is just, it's offbeat, it's dry, it's uh, it's dark. Um, but for me, it, it really worked most of the time. I loved Adam, the way Adam Driver delivers a lot of lines is just, He's so matter of fact, and you know, and he's like, "There's zombies, right? Ghoul, ghouls." <laughs> the way he's like, "Ghouls," it's just a whole weird thing that just it really works. It's worth mentioning that this is one of the few zombie films where characters actually call the zombies zombies, and not like The Walking Dead or The Undead or Ghouls or whatever. They're just like, "No, they're zombies, of course." Like zombie zombie films exist in the world of 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 uh, uh, the dead don't die, so they just call them zombies like they would, but. This movie, as far as themes goes, it has an awful lot to say. It, it has to talk. It, it, it has. It makes statements on politics, uh, certainly America and American culture, uh, work culture, uh, unemployment, um, the economy, a little bit on religion. Uh, it, it has things to say about film. It has things to say about Disney, in, in an awfully uh, pointed Star Wars nod. It has things to say about typecasting. It's kind of insane how much this movie has to say about the world around us, but it's all hidden in this under this veil of a classic zombie movie. Mm-hmm. For me, I had a lot of fun figuring that out. It was kind of like working out a puzzle or like looking at a magic eye picture, right? Like I kind of had a lot of fun working that stuff out. You know, you start to notice the little things, like you said, whoopies. Or uh, uh, Steve Buscemi's Farmer Miller character is wearing in the first scene you see him. He's wearing a red hat that looks like a Made, Make America Great Again hat that says something like "Keep White America Alive" or something like that. And he's sitting at a diner next to Danny Glover, who is a black actor, and both of them are acting like he's not wearing the hat, and they're both playing it cool. Kind of. Yeah. Danny Glover might be <laughs> acting towards it, but he's like 75, so it's hard to say. Um, you know, that's just, that's one example of this movie taking paces and saying, "Hey, here's some here's some things I have to say about the world," right? Like. It, this is a zombie movie. There's no reason for that to be in there, but there is because Jim Jarmusch wrote it and he has something to say about it. This is this is how I feel about this. And Centerville, USA is used as this melting pot of a place for to 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 as a drawback. What am I trying to say here? As a stage to present America as we know it. And the zombies in this movie, and this is my thesis here, the zombies in this movie are supposed to be working class culture who ignore the problems in the world and stifle their needs with things, material things, like Commer- commercialism, or Wi-Fi yeah. or sports or whatever. They, 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 they crave things that they, in the movie, sought in life to appease them instead of having to deal with real-world problems. And as they do that, they slowly infect the rest of Centerville and everybody starts to not notice, hey, the world is coming to an end. Really bad things are happening. And people in the movie say, people who are alive, why doesn't somebody do something? Why doesn't something happen? Why doesn't somebody do something? And our two characters, uh, Officer Ronnie Peterson and Chief Cliff Robertson, they're the two characters who are expected to do something, but ultimately um, have to decide whether or not they can, or if they even should, or if they're even destined to, which is weird. Um, so yeah, does that make any sense, Andy, having seen the movie? Yeah, so, so what I was going to say, especially about like uh, some of the commentary, some of it is incredibly pointed and on the nose, and then a lot of it's more subtle. You know, there, there's very clear references to like fracking and, and global warming. Uh, but then fracking, there, as it's called in this film, yeah. Right, and then but then there, there's things that are more subtle that uh, you know, there's several conversations like. Uh, there's one where the, these three, you know, kind of cliche teens, one played by Selena Gomez, uh, stop uh, at this motel, and you know they they check and get a room, and the hotel owners go, oh, you know, the, uh, hipsters, you know, they got that vibe, they they must be from Pittsburgh, and then uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian or Adam Driver says, well, their plates say Ohio, so they're probably from Ohio, like it's and it's this whole commentary, and this happens several places through the film, of like. Information and education versus emotion and feeling. Right. And that's like, that's a very subtle thing. And it's kind of, uh, that is mimicked throughout the film. And that that's a much more subtle kind of theme. And it's bringing up something else, you know, people that ignore facts or ignore information and studies and put their feelings first. Right. I'd say that begins with the very beginning of the film when weird stuff starts to happen. The whole zombie apocalypse gets brought on by 
uh, extended periods of day and night where day just runs longer than it should. And so it's supposed to be like 10 o'clock at night and it's sunny out and all of the characters in town are like, huh, that's weird. Weird. I guess I'm just going to go to bed and then get up tomorrow and do the same thing. And like nobody, nobody calls anybody. Nobody does anything. Everybody's just like, that's strange. <laughs> and you can act like it's because they're in small town Centerville, but it's, it's, it's supposed to be, like I said, a commentary. It's supposed to be saying like, this is, this is people in America who just seem oblivious to problems in the world and aren't doing anything about it and aren't going to make any effort to do anything about it because they're either too lazy or just don't care. And like, that's the message of the dead don't die. That's what that's supposed to be. And I think ultimately why the movie's called the dead don't die, why the dead rise and then continue to eat and feed is because Jim Jarmusch's opinion is that this will continue to be a cycle. We will never break out of this. Like we are destined to continue consuming misinformation and not learning and not growing and not becoming better people. And ultimately it's going to ruin all of us. That's the message. of the Don't Die. <laughs> yes. uh, so yeah, like it, it, people. And I think so many people went and saw this movie and thought it's a zombie movie. It's stupid. It's not funny. It's not engaging. It's dumb. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're looking at it all wrong. Like you're not, this is not supposed to be a, a, a goofy zombie comedy. Like it's supposed to be a statement about a lot of things in the world today, about politics and, 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 and opinion. And it's a whole thing. Uh, so I don't know. Um, w- one of the things I, I, a character I wanted to bring up is, uh, Tilda Swinton who plays the local, uh, coroner, um, funeral home director. Who's quite the yeah. character. She is so bizarre and everyone talks about how weird she is. And when we finally meet her, she's like this Scottish samurai who looks like an elf from Lord of the Rings. She's got this long blonde hair. She's super weird. You know, she she looks like uh, like I said, she looks like the like Legolas basically. She practices she practices the art of the blade in, in her uh, her funeral home and she's a creepy funeral home director and she and she talks really strangely as as well. Um and and her character is very interesting and we get a lot of really cool action scenes where she's, you know, just kind of a uh, cutting up these zombies with her samurai sword no problem because you know, she has studied the blade i guess, I guess. well uh, yeah, but, but we get we get a lot of characters like that that are kind of one-off very unique uh one of the other ones that really stuck out to me is uh bobby wiggins uh played by caleb landry Dr- jones who uh, plays like this uh, hardware store attendant but who's also a big comic book nerd and he's got extensive film knowledge and he's one of the ones that kind of makes lots of references to film itself and also lots of zombie films. Yeah. I, I think it's worth mentioning here. Cause I got a lot of hot takes on this. Uh, Andy, Andy doesn't know it yet, but at some point later I'm going to sit him down and be like, listen, let me explain to you why the dead don't die is, is a brilliant <laughs> film. Uh, I, it's no coincidence that like uh, Tilda Swinton, our character who is weird and abnormal and maybe even alien to our community uh, is able to deftly slip by all of these zombies and cut them up one by one and has no problem. Lit- I mean, there's there's a scene where Bill Murray's character keeps running over zombies because he seemingly can't see them because he's not aware of them, but she is, is easily weaving between them, going past them, observing. Our character who's from out of town has perspective. She's able to see the situation, evaluate it, and get through it. But everybody who lives there, everybody who's knee-deep in it, somehow can't. That's not coincidence. Uh-huh. Like there's 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 a reason for that. Like there's her character is explicitly supposed to be like a commentary on hmm people people who aren't from here are able to see this more clearly. Uh, you know they're 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 able to kind of understand what's happening and and get through it. But people who are are just instilled in it are are trapped and stuck. And it's it's a bummer. Yeah, our character Caleb Landry Jones, who's a a comic book store owner definitely thinks he knows a lot. He says at one point, I've seen all the zombie movies. Of course I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but it goes, just goes to show you film doesn't necessarily educate you like experiences do. And that's uh, part of the commentary that this <laughs> film offers about itself, which is weird. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm really rambling on this stuff, so I should probably bail out of this thing soon. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. One thing I just realized, uh, Tilda Swinton's character is called Zelda Winston, mm-hmm. and Winston is definitely an anagram of Swinton. Um, so there's a lot of that tongue-in-cheek with their names. They're very Some of these people are very close to uh, their their real-life names uh, as well. Right. Uh, I, I was mentioning before we got started, there's a reporter character played by Rosie Perez in the film, and her character in the movie is called Posey Juarez. Um, this movie has things to say about education, 
and and school shootings and violence and I don't know. There's there's a ton. There's there's stuff we didn't even get into. It is a uh, hour. It's I think it's like a hundred and four minutes or something. It's not that long. It has one 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 song in its entire soundtrack <laughs> uh, by Sturgill Simpson. Um, played played very much to effect. Uh, anything else for recommendations, Andy? Um, I will say the the only thing the thing that didn't really work for me is just it is. Um, it's just so slow. It's agonizingly slow in, in places. There's a scene where after the kind of the first zombie attacks, uh, you know, you have one police officer goes in, surveys the scene, sees, you know, the gruesome scene, walks back out. And then it happens two more times, and it's like a minute-long take for each each person because uh, Bill Murray has to do it, Adam Driver has to do it, Chloe Sevigny has to do it. And it's just, it really, really drags. And it... It does, in a weird way, also add to the humor because there's a, a gag that kind of comes up again. Um, so it's not without purpose, but man, does it drag. Right, like it's intentional to some point, but like when you see it coming from a mile away, it kind of hurts. But for me, again, looking at this through through like a, a, an analytical point, I, I was like, oh, that's supposed to be like a message. How can you not see this stuff coming from a mile away? Like if you're sitting there in the audience and you can think to yourself, huh, I see this joke coming... Like, wouldn't you think the characters would? Wouldn't they do something about it? But people in this world don't. People don't do anything about problems they see. They just let them happen until it gets worse and worse and worse. And they just throw up their hands like, ah, what are you going to do? Uh, the dead don't die. So, uh, Andy, any any official, I, I guess, would you recommend uh, The Dead Don't Die? I think this is a movie for certain audiences. It is not a mainstream zombie film. It's not a mainstream film by any means. If you are a big film buff, and especially if you have been deep into the horror and and zombie genres, uh, you're really going to enjoy this film. There's lots of of hidden uh, references to uh, George A. Romero, the original uh, Night of the Living Dead, lots of other films, both in, in things people say and things you see in recreated scenes. Um, there's lots of references to filmmaking it's, itself. Uh, it's, there's a lot of meta humor that I don't w- want to ruin or get into. Um, it's definitely a film for film nerds. If you're not that, if you're just a casual uh, film goer, want to enjoy some horror or some zombie film, I don't think this is the film for you. At the same time, I, with uh, for having a month of very bland films at the box office, it was nice to see someone take some risks and swing for the fences and bring me something new because I wasn't while it was slow I just I didn't know what to expect I didn't know what was coming I didn't know where the film was going and I really enjoyed that aspect of it yeah I I think I land very much in the same camp this personally is one of my favorite films of the year it'll probably be on a top 10 list I thought this movie was so cool I was so into it and I had no expectations going in because I thought it looked terrible uh, this movie has a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's worth noting that when a movie has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, that doesn't mean it's it's only half a good movie. That means half the critics that saw it liked it, and half didn't. It's binary, all right? And it's divisive. That means it's either good or it's bad. You either like it or you don't. And in the case of The Dead Don't Die, there is a huge chance you don't like it. But remember, if you're going to take a chance, if you're going to go see The Dead Don't Die, and you want to try to get into this analytical social commentary stuff that we're talking about keep in mind it is not a movie about zombies it was never a movie about zombies it's it's something totally different but for what it's worth i thought the dead don't die was great two thumbs way up you probably don't need to go see (laughs) yeah i i think it's something that uh, knowing what it's about now i i think i would enjoy it a lot more on second viewing Knowing the kind of, and I wish I would have known what kind of film it was going in. If the trailer had been more accurate to the kind of film it was, I, I would have been more excited for it. I also wanted to briefly to talk about the score. It, it has a real interesting score. It reminded me a lot of Mandy for some reason. Yeah, it's very horror. Um, you not only the score, but also in the way it's shot. You mentioned Night of the Living Dead, but there's some shots in here that are straight out of something like Evil Dead. The way they have this car that a camera follows around, I was like, that is an Evil Dead shot. Um, and Night of the Living Dead, a lot of graveyards, very practical stuff. Like, yeah, they have, they have zombies practically popping out of holes, like, you know, stunt doubles digging their hands out of dirt and stuff. Like, that's legit. Like, it's it's very practical and low budget, and, and I think it really pays a lot of homage to what came before in that way. Very synth-heavy on the soundtrack. Um, 
And you're you're right. Like the trailer did it in no favors. I mean, I said it before. I was like, wow, a Jim Jarmusch movie where the cast is the biggest the biggest reason to go see it. That's neat. And it's like the it's like the person who saw the trailer didn't get it either. Like this movie is doing something very particular. Like it's it's like Black Klansman in the way it's supposed to be talking about society. Like it is not about zombies. Uh, it's its own beast. Um, but like, and maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy. It's, it's also worth mentioning. Maybe maybe I'm looking way too far into all of this. But like, man, I'm so bummed by by the people I've seen on the internet who who just didn't get it. They're like, nope, it was a boring zombie movie. The people in my theater, I had two other people in my theater. They left halfway through. They got up and left. <laughs> they were like, this so- is this is lame. They didn't come back. So my theater was totally into it. Like they, it was about half full. Um, definitely people who are, I think probably more mature film goers and uh, they were totally into it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an experience. Uh, if you, if you really want to see what it's about, shoot us an email at mail at Oscar film com, and, and, and I'll come see it with you. How about that? I'll walk you through the whole thing. I'll pause it and everything. <laughs> I'll explain what's going on in every scene. You'll think it's brilliant. Uh, and if you want to know more about what we're doing, check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on all of those things. All right. Uh, and, and and tell us what's going on. We always appreciate correspondence. We read it at the top of the show. If I can remember to read it at the top of the show. It's great. Uh, so you should write us and let us know what you think of The Dead Don't Die. Let us know what you thought of Men in Black International if you saw it. If you have any hot takes on those trailers coming up, Frozen 2, Doctor Sleep, and uh, Ready or Not, I almost forgot it. And uh, anything else you got going on, keep it here at Offscript for more film news, I guess. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>